The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus said, In those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, Keep awake. The Gospel of the Lord. It has been a long-standing debate in the church about how best to treat Advent. Even still in dispute to this day are which liturgical colors we should use. The blue that I'm wearing is kind of a Marian blue, although some liturgical pros in my life like to call it Almy blue. Why? Well, because it was promoted by the Almy Vestment Company of all people, and that is in fact where we put this set. Other authorities will point to what they call the Serum blue, a blue that was used many centuries ago at Salisbury Cathedral in England, which holds the rootstock of many of our liturgical traditions and customs. It's more like a deep navy blue. But that obscures the fact that the other debate that goes on is whether Advent is a full penitential season like Lent, as the medievalists would have it. I would tend to argue it is a penitential season but it is a different kind of penitential season from Lent. 
In Lent, we fast from those things that fascinate us and take our attention away from God. In Advent, we recognize that the fast is upon us, and maybe we fast from something different, that is the urge to fill in that empty place that we are to hold open for the coming of Christ. That is why Advent is a season not so much of preparation or spring cleaning as Lent is, but a season instead of waiting. And if there is any discipline that holds us firm in its grasp at this time, of course, it is waiting. Oh, come on, Brother Richard, really? Waiting? More? We've been doing it for months. Indeed, we have. Which is why this Advent in the midst of pandemic is perhaps one of the hardest seasons yet that we have to face. In the growing gloom of the rise of the virus, we have to face our emptiness, our emptiness of power, our inability to stop the wave except for those small things that we can do of ourselves. All those things that we keep hearing about, from refraining from close contact with others to wearing a mask, you know the drill and you know it well. And yet, the hardest thing of all is to continue to wait. In that reading from Isaiah that Scott so beautifully held for us today, we hear of a people who have been taken into exile by a power far greater than themselves, with no real clear hope of ever being restored to their home country. The ancient Israelites are shocked and traumatized. They have lost their temple, the most holy place on earth for them. The Babylonians have basically told the Israelites that not only have they been erased from the face of the earth, so has their God. And yet the Israelites continue to speak to Yahweh, their beloved. And they are brazen in this passage today. They lament with open hearts, recognizing their faults and their sins, but they go a step, perhaps for many of us, too far when they say the reason that they've sinned is because God has left them. If only God will relent of his anger, then they will be good again. That is perhaps another difference between Lent and Advent for us to remember, like the ancient Israelites, it is not so much about what we are doing to tidy up our house. It is about waiting for God to act first. Holy waiting, here in the darkness. How do we do that in a day like ours? It's made even harder with the constant siren call of our economy and of course the Christmas season 
and the pressing of preparing in whatever way we can, any way, shape, or fashion for the gifts under the tree, the coming press and requests of our families and those close to us. The constant blare of political crisis and division. Everything that pulls our attention this way and that way at this time of year. Jesus says, keep awake. Don't be lulled into spiritual sleep by the constant noises of the world. Jesus' teachings are delivered to us today by Mark, who was writing late in the first century, probably with a very fresh memory of another trauma, and that was the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans around 70 AD. It was the destruction of the second temple, and it was just a big, as big a trauma as the destruction of the first temple when the Israelites had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. It is so profound, in fact, we cannot overstate how much it colors the tradition that we have inherited and our Jewish sisters and brothers have inherited. It forms the linchpin or the trigger point, if you will, of the deep conflict that lies between Jews and Christians in early times because following the destruction of Jerusalem, there becomes a new quest for the future of the tradition and what it will look like. The early Christian community that Mark is writing to is in the midst of that struggle and wondering where it goes from here. And Mark picks up Jesus' teaching and winds it around the warnings of the destruction of the temple and then offers these clues that Jesus seems to leave us like breadcrumbs. There will be wars and rumors of war and darkness, signs and portents in the sky, he tells us. From the fig tree of all things, he says, learn, learn a lesson. One commentator reminded me this year that the most common tree in the Holy Land is evergreen. It's the fig tree that's one of the few deciduous species on the ground there. And so it's the fig tree that gives the signs of the coming seasons. It's the fig tree that is the first to push forth shoots when summer is near. Jesus says, look to those things that give you the signs of a change in season. Perhaps, he means, look for those things that give you signs of hope. How do we pray in the darkness in the early part of Advent? My sisters and brothers, we can pick up the rhymes of our spiritual ancestors and use the words of lament. Some of us need to do that, especially in a time when people are ill and struggling, when our hospitals are filling up 
and what uncertainty is the only certainty before us. But Paul gives us another clue as he writes another little Christian community in the first century, the church in Corinth, that was lost in darkness of a different kind. Corinth was the city where you could get just about anything you could buy and where all bets were off and all behavior was allowed. The Christian community in Corinth was wrestling with what it meant to be Christian in a context where there was no up or down, and where there was no compass about how to be with one another, except the compass of the wallet, if you like, and the compass of whatever lust or desire you had. Paul writes not with the ordinary type of greeting that Greek letter writers at the time would have used. Had he, he would have just said greetings. But instead he says grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Our holy task at this time, as we wait in the darkness, is to do more than simply nourish our anxieties, but we need to step back from the storm of our feelings enough so that we can do things like choose grace, choose peace, and choose that remarkable and steadfast and durable Christian virtue that we call hope. Hope, like those two other virtues that Paul writes about elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians, goes hand in hand with those two other virtues of our faith, faith itself, and of course, love. They are not mere feelings for us as a Christian community. They are choices that we make. So my sisters and brothers, as we wait together in the darkness, and as we figure out how to pray this time together, choose hope, choose grace, and the peace of our God which passes all understanding, will come to us. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.